Well, good morning. It's good to be back. It's a very uh, restful three weeks. I think it's always important to vacate and get some rest as well as work. And we really had a, had a great, amazingly restful time, mostly out on the farm together. So Karen and I did. And, you know, whenever we go away for any length of time, whether it's something like a vacation or maybe a mission trip somewhere, two things always come to us. One is how much we love you guys. It doesn't take long to miss you. Uh, I'm addicted to you, as it turns out. And so we think about how much we love you guys. Uh, But at the same time, it always amazes us how well you seem to be able to get along without us, which is uh, actually a good thing, you know. Lots of good things happened while we were gone, including, you know, not just kind of the regular stuff, but... Team Appalachia heads off to give away school supplies to kids who need it. And, and I got to give a shout out to you lawnmowers. Man, this lawn has just never looked better. I mean, you guys and gals who do all that Z turn and stuff are the best. So you get along really well without us. I would have loved to have seen the parking lot done when I got back. That would have been wonderful, but we're still waiting for the company that's going to do that to get to us on their list. But it just fulfills something in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. that says the reason that pastors are pastors, it says, very clearly in the Bible, is to prepare God's people for works of service, of ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so, uh, you know, Tony and I and Heather, we're, we're professional Christians. We're, we're good only because we get paid to be good. That's it. And uh, uh, you guys, you're good for nothing. It's, uh, so... We love you guys, uh, but also the other thing that occurs to us, and me in particular when we're away, is how very clear and simple God's call upon my life is in terms of being here. You know, there's a lot that goes on in a church like ours. There's a lot of stuff you've got to deal with that can be very distracting and very kind of muddling along the way. And of course, you prayerfully do it the very best you can, but at the end of the day, it's kind of really good to get away and go, wait a minute. The only thing that God has called me to do here in this church is to bring the word of God to you and to lead by the power of the Spirit. And so it's just really good to have that sense of focus, you know. So, so thanks very much for the time. We really, really enjoyed it. It was good to listen to Tony's uh, messages online in my, and not being here. Glad we have that website thingy, you know, and I can put them on my phone and whatever I'm doing, I can listen to his messages. Uh, By and large, I agree with them. Uh, There were a couple of things that I had trouble with as he was talking along the way. One, I found it very difficult not to picture him wearing his jams that his mother had had made for him. And uh, that's something you just don't want to think about. You know, you don't want some things you can't unsee, you know, once you've seen them. I also really enjoyed his seal impersonation, and I don't mean his fly like an eagle, uh, not, not, but his ar, ar, you know, seal impersonation. Now, in that case, I did find that in addition to hearing it, if I pictured him, it all made more sense somehow. It didn't land in the first service either, so <laughs> we're just so grateful to have our brother Tony here and the rest, you know, who can really do what they do in the Lord. Well, today I'd like to resume the Through the Bible series that I began back in February, actually. 
I told you then that it is my plan to preach over time, uh, systematically all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I told you that there would be, it would come in fits and starts, that there would come, there would be a piece of it, and then God would interrupt with other things for us to look at in the Word and His move among us, and then we would return to them. And so we started in February and through March, made it through the first five books of the Bible, one at a time, one a week, and today we're going to pick it up in the book of Joshua and, and continue on. And my plan at this point, Lord willing, is to continue this through Second Chronicles over the next several weeks. You may or may not remember my strategic approach to trying to preach through the Bible one book at a time, a book a week, uh, it, but uh, it, it really centers around three things. I want you to know the context of the book. That's the larger picture in which the book is set because it's really important for understanding its meaning. I wanted to show you the main storylines in each book because I think as you look at the main storylines, you can, you can piece it together as a whole. And then the third thing that is very exciting is to, is to just pray, Holy Spirit, what's the hot spot of this passage for us today? What do you want to say to us today from that part of your word that's really going to bring meaning and life to us? So that's going to continue to be my, my plan. But let, let's pray. Father, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in, uh, among the family. And uh, it's good to know that you have structured, ordered, organized, uh, related this place together in such a way that this church is not about a man other than the man Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you are the chief shepherd, that you are the one that this church is about. And Father, we we just bless your name for that. Father, as we start to look into more of your word, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move among us here will touch us, and will do that amazing thing that you do, Lord, that takes the same words that come out of my mouth and either changes them or interprets them to each, each listening heart. And so I invite you to come and do that. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to do the unseen work of the Word of God and also the seen, visible manifestations of your presence. So we, we give this part of our gathering together to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so go ahead and turn in your book, uh, Bibles to the book of Joshua, and that's pretty close, if you're new, that's pretty close to the beginning, it's book number six, and so not too far in. Uh, the book of Joshua is, uh, it's 24 chapters long, and in my particular Bible, the way it's set up, it's only 24 pages, and so you can read it through in under an hour, and you can internalize it, it's interesting, it'll get your attention, And you can read the whole book of Joshua through in under an hour, especially if when you get to the portions where it says that the allocation of land was to this tribe and this clan and this family, you just kind of fly through that, you know, because it's like, I'm not going to remember this anyway. That's just sort of bonus material. It's like when you're reading through the Bible in a year and you get to the begats and you go, oh, good, I don't have to, I just, you know, and on on you go. But you can read through this book pretty quickly. Uh, the points of context that I'd really like for you to get your, your minds around is, first of all, that the author is unknown to us. We don't really know who wrote the book of Joshua. We know the, that it's about Joshua, but it's very unlikely that Joshua actually wrote the book. So we don't really know. And sometimes it's helpful to know, as in the case of the Gospels, who wrote it, so that we can kind of get their perspective. And, but at the end of the day, it's not critical that we know. Because we know this. We know that Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, was written by God. And that we can have confidence in the reality that the Word of God is the Word of God. And so while it may be helpful 
as context to know who wrote it, it's, not, it's definitely not essential. The second part about context I want you to know is that it covers a span of history during the 13th century B.C. So over 3,000 years ago, the stuff in this, in this book happened. That's a long time. And to kind of put it that in general perspective about the whole flow of the Bible... What we're seeing in the book of Joshua is what happens right after Moses. So Moses is raised up and he leads the people out of Egyptian slavery, as we saw in this series earlier. And now it's right after that. But to kind of put it in context, this is about 200 years before King David comes on the scene with with his son Solomon and the building of the temple. So it's about the lifespan of our country, if you will, before that, if that helps to put it into some perspective. Another thing that you should know about the context of Joshua, if you're going to get hold of its truth, is that it describes a time of enormous transition. There's a lot going on in, in, in this period of time in Joshua. Huge transition. And transition, ladies and gentlemen, while important, always brings instability. And so when you're reading, doesn't, isn't that true? Change brings instability. And, and so when you're reading it, you have to understand that every word of it is written in, in, into, a, into a culture of volatility, a volatile uh, 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 culture. So it's a time of great transition. Transition, for example, from the desert into the promised land. So they're wandering around the desert for 40 years after getting out of Egypt, and they're moving into what's called the promised land the land that God had promised to his people, and it's a land also sometimes called Canaan or Canaan land. It's a a time of transition from from, uh, Moses to Joshua, as we'll see. It's a time, this is critical, it's a time of transition from a loss of identity to a restoration of tribal identity. What, you say? Okay, so, so the... They, had, they lost, the people of Israel truly lost their identity for the 400 years that they were enslaved in Egypt. They lost it. If you go back before that, you have Abraham, Isaac, and his son Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, exactly, and he had 12 sons. And each of these 12 sons then became the name of a tribe of Israel. And so the people of God had their identity in the individual tribes. Now, you may remember that Joseph, the next to the youngest son, was sold into slavery in Egypt, which is how they all wound up there because of a famine. But they didn't use his name because they used his two sons' names, Ephraim and Manasseh, as tribal names. And you go, well, doesn't that make 13? Go ahead and ask me. Well, it does, but it doesn't, because the Levites, the tribe of Levi, had no allocation in the land because they were the pastors, and they just sucked off the life of everybody else, like we do. All right? Can we talk? Okay. So that's how that plays out. So what you have, then, before Egypt is the development of a tribal identity of these 12 tribes of Israel. But they lost that identity while they were in in Egypt. Why? Because the best way to enslave people is to take away their identity, is to rob them of their heritage, is to make them forget who they are. Then they don't care anymore. And beloved, I fear this is what is happening with the church of Jesus Christ in America today. 
that the best way to enslave us is to make the church a whim of every political or cultural development and say, you have to do that, and we lose our identity as those who stand for righteousness in Jesus Christ. And I fear that that's what's happening. And I fear that it's a, it's a trick of the devil to try to enslave the church by causing us to forget that we are the people of God. First Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We can't forget that. You want to be a strong church? Then know that you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ in the world today. Celebrate that, okay? And it was a time of of a transition for the Israelites from a loss of their identity to a restoration of their tribal identity so that as these land allocations were made, they understood who they were in God again. And I believe it's also a transition from promise to fulfillment. They'd been living in the promise. It was the promise that was holding them together. It was the promise of the promised land that was keeping them going. And now it's fulfillment time. And come on, beloved, don't we live in that tension all the time? Between the promise that just keeps you going to the fulfillment of the promise? And, and, and don't you understand, you, I know you understand this, that you're living and you can cite certain promises of God that have been fulfilled and you can cite other promises of God that you're still longing for, right? Well, twice in the book of Joshua, it says not one good promise of the Lord was left unfulfilled. So you can take that to the bank, okay? So that's the context. The main storylines of the book of Joshua are three. Joshua succeeds Moses as the leader of Israel. Can you imagine trying to follow Moses as the next leader? I mean, this was the guy who'd go into the tent of the meeting, and he would come out, and his face was shining. His face was shining, and so people would say, Oh, we must look away from him. Oh, don't look at him. He's, I don't know why I'm doing this accent, but I don't. Look away. Don't look at him. So it was that guy, an amazing, charismatic, gregarious, more than anything, spirit-filled leader, although the Bible says he was the most humble man who lived on the earth. It was this guy that God says, okay, Joshua, it's your turn. Joshua steps up to the plate, and in Joshua chapter 1, verse 17, here is the promise of the people of Israel, their response to him. He said, they said to Joshua, just as we fully obeyed Moses so we will obey you. Now, had it been me, I might have liked a better promise. If you think about the way they obeyed Moses, which was pretty inconsistently, I might have preferred to hear something a little better. But it was, uh, it was, that's the, one of the main storylines. The second main storyline of the book of Joshua is the supernatural conquest of the cities of Canaan, that God conquered these cities. So they're going back to into this area, into the promised land. And, and this land is inhabited by people who are already living there. And they're living largely in cities, fortified cities with walls, because that's the safest way to live in this barbaric, semi-nomadic society, right? Let's get together, let's make a wall, let's have an army, let's protect ourselves. And so they weren't just going to go in and take it without a fight. 
And so what you see throughout the book of Joshua is the supernatural conquest of these cities, how God goes in before them and conquers. The most, most notable of which was what? Jericho, right? Jericho. And God gives them this great strategic military plan. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up every morning. I want you For six days, I want you to walk around the, the whole city once, but don't say anything. Be real quiet, okay? Just tiptoe like mice. On the seventh time, I want you to get up. I want you to walk around six times. And on the seventh time you go around, I want everybody to yell. And when you yell, the walls will come down. Yeah, right. It's exactly... And that's exactly what happened. And we see repeatedly throughout, we see repeatedly throughout the book of Joshua how God supernaturally conquered these cities for his people. And they learned something. They learned it the hard way, that when they listened to the Lord and inquired of the Lord and did what the Lord said, no matter how displeasing or difficult or illogical it may have seemed, they triumphed. When they did not do that, they failed. You can take that one to the bank, too. Third main storyline is the consistent demonstrations of the power of God, not only in these battles, but also in other things. When they were crossing the Jordan River, and it was said to be at flood stage, uh, when they put their toes in the water, it started to clear out for them. Does that sound familiar at all? What does that sound like? Crossing the Red Sea, right? But this is how hard it would have been to be Joshua. You know, what does Moses do? He parts the Red Sea. Boom. You've seen that. You've seen Charlton Heston do that. You know what that looks like. That's a big deal. What did we see Joshua do? Well, he parted the Jordan River. He was like a mini Moses, you know. Instead of a staff, he carried that little pencil in his pocket protector, you know. and He'd get it out, and you guys better be good. But God came. There's another, there's another part of this in chapter 10 where God makes the sun stand still to give them enough light to continue coming against this alliance of five kings and conquering, of all cities, Jerusalem. That was a big day. No pun intended. These are the main storylines that as you think about it... Thank you, Lindsay. You may go. Uh, as you think about these things... Uh, this is the way the book of Joshua fits together. Now ask me, what's the hot spot? Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Here's where I think you're going to find some real food for your souls. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. By the way, the Catholics hate that line. Thank you. Be sure to tip your waitresses. <laughs> Joshua, the son of Nun, um, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give, the, give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. Thank you very much, Nina to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west side. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to obey all the law my servant gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen? I want you to focus on verse 3, where God said to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot. He said, where you st- if you step it off, it'll be yours. I know we dealt with this a little bit in the circle prayer series that I brought not too long ago. But it's so worth understanding that he said to Joshua, wherever you set your foot, I'm going to give that to you. And what it is, is it's, a, it's an impartation of authority and dominion to him. You have to understand the thread of this throughout the Bible. That in the book of Genesis, what did God give to Adam and Eve? He gave, he gave them dominion. He said, you'll have dominion over the earth. And this was meant to be a human quality. So that we as redeemed believers, as those who have been rescued from the curse by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been restored into proper fellowship with God through the cross of Christ, who have been given His Spirit, we now have opportunity to demonstrate that same dominion when we're holding it in healthy relationship with the Lord. So that there's something about your feet today that where you set your feet, God will give that to you. And if you keep going through, when God gave Moses his very own credentials, when Moses said, well, maybe I'll go to Egypt, but if I go, who shall I say sent me? And what did God say? You tell him I sent you. You say, I am that I am sent you. You go in my name. So he gave, he gave Moses the power, the authority. The prophets throughout the Old Testament, they stood against powerful kings who had vast armies. And they were successful in standing against them. Why? They were successful because there's a big difference between earthly power and supernatural power. And he was giving them his supernatural power. When Jesus sent out, sent out his disciples, he said, I'm going to send you out with power and authority, are his words, so that you will be able to heal the sick, cast out demons. He said, I'm sending you out with power and authority. This is meant to be a part of the Christian life. Jesus finished his own time on this earth by saying what? He said to his disciples in his resurrected state, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, you, Mike, you go in that authority and make disciples of all nations. It wasn't a question, was it? It was a command. You keep going. The first century church was steeped in the power of God. Did anybody get to the book of Acts yet? Four? Okay, well, the rest of you, when you get there, you will see that throughout... There are manifestations, demonstrations of God's power because these simple people who were not religious, they were not complicated. They came together. They sang their songs of praise to God. They invited the Holy Spirit to come. They put themselves under His authority. And God came and gave His authority to them. Church history, if you know it, is replete with examples of the church operating in amazing power when the church gets its head on straight and gives itself to Jesus. And says, you're the leader. There can be no mistake that both by the clear teaching of the scriptures and the consistent witness of the Holy Spirit, that the people of God, that means you, are meant to be people of kingdom power and authority. It's God's plan. You are the people of God. 
You have power. There's some on your feet, man. There's some power on your feet. He said to Joshua, wherever you step, I'll give that to you. There's power on your feet, so the question is where are you stepping these days? Where are you stepping? What kingdom real estate are you defining by a release of your faith as you walk it out? How do you do this? Ask me. You do this by taking note of something that God said to Joshua three times in this passage. Three times God admonished Joshua to be strong and courageous. He said, wherever you step, you can have. But three times he says strong and courageous. Once he said be strong and very courageous. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 9. Be strong and courageous. The business of defining your kingdom turf is something that will require great strength and courage. You know, if you're going to be walking around some person that you want to see come to the Lord and you say, I'm going, to, I'm going to claim them for the kingdom, it's going to require strength. It's going to require courage. Now the strength, listen carefully, will be supplied by the Lord. The strength is the Lord's. We don't want to do anything in our own strength, right? We want to do it by the power of the Lord. The scriptures say, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So God will supply the strength. How do you get the strength of the Lord? You get the strength of the Lord by consistently living in a healthy prayer relationship with Him, having a consistent life of intimate connection with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, and then also by being one who involves himself or herself in the move of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit moves, you don't resist. You don't, what the Bible says, quench the Spirit. You don't hold your arms up against the Spirit, but you get involved in the move of the Spirit. And, and whatever that situation is, whether it's a gathering like this, or in your small groups and homes, or even in your own personal time with the Lord, when the Spirit comes, you jump in. I don't feel like it. Didn't ask you. <laughs> you want strength from the Lord or not? then you need to maintain your healthy prayer life with the Lord and you need to cooperate with the move of the Holy Spirit when He comes. And you're going to need strength because wherever you set your foot, you're going to need to be willing to defend because somebody's going to try to take it away from you. You say, what about verse 5 in the text when God said to Joshua, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. That's true. But it doesn't say nobody's going to try to stand up against you, does it? He's just saying, oh, people are going to stand up against you. You're going to fight. But no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Jesus said to Peter, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Clear implication there that the gates of hell are going to try to prevail against you. They just won't succeed, correct? Nowhere in the Bible does God guarantee us a battle-free life. But we are guaranteed the ultimate victory. And you'll require the strength of God. That's something that you can get from Him. But the courage, because He said be strong and courageous. The courage is up to you. The courage is yours. And this really holds the key to being able to step out the kingdom with your feet. And we have to begin just by knowing what the word courage means. 
I fear that in our society we've, we've lost the meaning of so many words, and one of them is courage. Most typically, courage in our society is confused with the word bravery. We think that they are synonyms. In fact, if you pull out your phone right now and say courage definition, it will, or, or bravery definition, it will say something like living courageously. And they're not the same word by root. They're not at all the same word. And for us to understand what the Bible means now, we have to trouble ourselves to understand what the words meant then. Because the message can be different, correct? Well, at its core, this word courage comes from the Latin word, at the, the root is core. Ah. You hear the similarity? Courage, core. Core in Latin means heart. Means heart. Age, age, means living. You're living, correct? Your age. That's an indication of your life. So the essential meaning of the word courage is to live from your heart. Is to live from your heart. Now that often requires a great amount of bravery, doesn't it? But that bravery and courage are not the same thing. Courage is something that you can do. You can can choose to live from your heart. It's being in touch with what's really in your heart. What's in your heart? You know what's in your heart. You all messed up because of it. Do you know what's in your... I mean, what's in your heart to be a follower of Jesus who can step out the kingdom, claim kingdom real estate... You have to become a person who knows how to live from your heart. So the question is, what's in your heart? What's in there? I mean, what are some of the things you'd be doing with your life if obstacles could be cleared away? Just think of, just dare to dream about that a minute. Would your life be different if it weren't for certain obstacles? Well, my question is, If you are a born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled child of God, why are you allowing yourself to be defined by obstacles? When your Lord Jesus Christ conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father, and right now intercedes for you. What are those obstacles compared to that? What would some of you be doing with your life if you didn't have to make money doing it? Would you be going to your job? What are some of the pictures that emerge when you see yourself serving God with all of your heart if you just don't think through the logistics? If you stop just there. What does the picture of you serving God with all of your heart look like? Stop. Don't get all tied up and but, uh, but. We live in a state of tension, don't we? Between our hearts and our heads. Because when... When we dare to let our hearts begin to speak, what happens? Something up here goes, whoa, careful, buddy, whoa. Who knows what I'm talking about? When we dare to start looking in there and going, if I did what you just said, I suddenly hear a message that goes, that's not realistic. There's too much risk and too much uncertainty, correct? Correct? Well, the Bible says to live from your heart requires walking by faith, not by sight. Your heart is full of faith. 
Your heart said, God can do anything. Your head is full of sight. Yeah, but. We become yeah, butters. If you want to live from your heart, beloved, it requires living a life of pending uncertainty. You have to get comfortable with uncertainty or at least know how to deal with it. When Joshua heard these words from God, I want you to go step off the real estate that now belongs occupied by big, strong people. The only thing he had, the only thing he knew for certain was the word of God. That's the only thing he knew for certain was that God said, I'll be with you, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and they won't be able to stand up against you. That's the only certainty he had. So God called him to live from his heart. He lives from his heart, coming only from the certainty of having the word of God. You see, you're exactly like Joshua. You want to live from your heart. Your certainty is the word of God. The only advantage you have is you have a lot more word of God, and you're living under the power of a resurrected Savior. It requires living a life of pending uncertainty. And Anne Lamott's book entitled Plan B, I think the rest of the title is Further Thoughts on Faith. She's a trip. Anyway, she made the brilliant observation that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. That as Americans, what we're doing now is we're bowing at the altar of certainty. I'll do that, Lord, if I can be certain of the outcome. Our tolerance for risk is pretty low. The opposite of faith is no longer doubt. I believe that probably everybody in here doesn't doubt that God can do the things we're talking about or do the things in your heart, right? But I'll need some certainty. So that even our faith becomes a matter of Hiring some tall, bald guy to tell you the things you should be certain of instead of telling you you got to step out in faith. What would you do if you didn't have to be certain of the outcome? What pictures are living in your heart that your head is restraining you from painting? You ever wonder why God chose Joshua? To follow? I mean, of all the people he could have chosen, why did he choose Joshua? I believe he chose him because he was a man who had already demonstrated he lives from his heart. Anybody remember Joshua from before? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? Ten were bad. I can do children's ministry. Two were good. Some saw giants great and tall. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. Who were the two? What were the names of the two spies who came back and said, Oh yeah, what they're saying is true, but God can do it. What were their names again? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua had already indicated, Oh, I know what they're all saying. They're looking from their heads. Let me tell you what's in our hearts. 
We're going in the name of the living God. When David stood up against Goliath, what did he do? He came up there and he said, I, you come against me, Goliath, with javelin and sword and spear. So his head was talking, but he says, then his heart starts talking. He says, with his five little stones, his little slingshot, he says, but I come against you in the name of the living God, and today I will feed your carcass to the armies of Israel. <laughs> yeah. That's living from his heart, right? Anybody hear about Peter in a boat one day with 11 other disciples? Jesus comes sashaying across the water. And everybody goes, here's a ghost. That's what the heads were saying. Got to be. People can't walk on water. Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus says, bring it. And then he left his head, and he lived from his heart, and he threw his legs over the side of that boat, and with a slight interruption and lesson along the way, he made his way to Jesus. Eleven other disciples going, oh, I don't know how you did that, man. And at the risk of sounding completely presumptuous by inclusion, you are right now sitting in chairs, hearing music, and enjoying being a part of a global ministry that scarcely more than 20 years ago was only a terrifying uncertainty that lived in the hearts of a couple raising five children in Westerville. No job, no people, only a call of God to come and plant this church because you were in our hearts. You were in our hearts and I hope that some of you are right now having a heart attack. I hope that you are troubled by living a consistent life of hesitation. And I want to ask you, are you planning to die with all of that still locked up in your heart? Is that your plan? In the past 22 years of planting and leading this church, there have been times of tremendous uncertainty, but there has never been one day that was not full of life. So what do I do? How do I begin, you ask? You begin this morning by saying, okay, I will follow you as you prompt me in my heart, Lord. I will follow. Just start there. Don't make some grand plan. Don't quit your job in the morning. Don't just, just start by... Saying, Lord, I will follow you in my heart. I will follow you. Next week, I will show you from the book of Judges the second thing you will need to live this out. It's been amazing to me. And looking through this, how this whole theme is woven out for us as the hot spot. And what I will show you next week is a critical and often missing component from the lives of many believers today. But today, you know, it just really begins with a simple but authentic surrender. And just say, Lord... I want to live from my heart. I want to become that man or that woman that responds to the heart. Father, we look to you this morning and we're just going to take a couple of minutes to worship you and respond to you. We want to give ourselves, give our souls an opportunity to breathe on this for a minute. They've listened to me patiently for all this time. 
I pray, God, that your voice has touched hearts along the way. And I just want to give you the full time, full access to our minds and our hearts to bring about the response that you have in mind. Father, where, where could some of these people be a year from now, from now or 10 years from now or 22 years from now if they could just really learn to live from their hearts? I pray for them, Lord, because it's hard and it's painful. But I pray for them because it's worth it. So I just pray, Father, for the stirring of the heart here as we worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe we could have some prayer ministry people come on up and take your places on both sides. And then what we're going to do here is just sing and let your heart respond to God. If it's from where you are, that's great. If you want to come up, that's great. If you want to go over and ask somebody to pray for you, that's great. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart to do. Just a time of, of responding to his moving inside of you. Let's stand together, church, please.
possible that that's right where some of you are right now so I'm sitting here kind of trying to listen to the Holy Spirit that there's some of you who are in the flames and I just want to offer to pray for you after you after the church leaves I'm just going to stand up here for a little bit right now and you know if you're a person who says I'm in the flames man and uh, I just need somebody to pray for me I just want to stand here I don't know even how you would define that but you get to here's a person who says in the flames, I get that, and I don't, I, I want to be faithful. I want to, I, I want to do the next thing that the Lord wants me to do. I'm just to stand here, and whoever comes, I'll just have a group prayer with you, okay? Thanks, Lord, for your faithfulness in visiting the worship. Thanks for this team, Lord, and their willingness always to be able to come and set such a beautiful table for us. And um, Thanks for the fellowship of the saints here, Lord, the people who come and who find that agreement of, of belief in you. Thanks for the move of your spirit and the visitation of your spirit on us and the power of your spoken word, Lord, your word of God, the Bible. And I just pray, Father, now that as we get ready to go, that your Holy Spirit would be rich inside of each person and that this week would be a life of revelation of the heart that you would uh, just encourage and show show the blessing that you have for them in living from the heart. Power of the Holy Spirit come. We love you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.